0: What's up, Beardos? You're listening to episode 102 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to don't be a jerk. Don't Let me be answer me. your question
1: first by <laughs> not answering your question. I
0: really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talk about.
1: Welcome to the show, I'm Paul.
0: And I'm Andy.
1: And we are The Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan.
0: If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardedvegans.com. And you can always reach us by emailing thebeardedvegans at gmail.com.
1: In today's episode, we will talk about what we've been eating, answer a listener question, break down this week's news, and then move on into our main discussion of the week. What will happen to non-vegan jobs if the world goes vegan?
0: So tempted to just title this, they took our Germs."
1: <laughs> I'm sure it'll make it into the outro music <laughs>
0: course, uh, uh, somehow. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. I'm excited to tackle this one, Paul. It's, I think we got a pretty packed episode ahead of us. I think so, too. Yeah, but before we get into that little announcement, we now know the date of our next live podcast recording, and that is going to be December 9th at the Compassion Fest Vegan Holiday Bazaar in Hamden, Connecticut, currently slated for 5 p.m., so come on out. I'm sure we'll be talking about something uh, holiday related, some vegan survival guide, something of that nature. We would love to see some Beardos in the crowd. It is free to attend. So come on out and we'll probably do a little live Q&A afterwards as well.
1: What if our live podcast, quote, quote unquote, live podcast is just me giving out tofurkey roasts because that's what I do on the holidays, Andy. Eat those tofurkey roasts.
0: I would be happy to see how many I could eat in the hour and a half recording.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so uh before we get into the listener question and the news, Andy, you've been putting some you've been putting some good stuff in your mouth. What have you been eating?
0: I have, and I'm just gonna say this quickly, because we talked about them last week, but we were at the New Jersey Veg Fest this past weekend, and once again Freakin' Vegan was there, and this time I got to try their buffalo mac and cheese, and it is By far the best thing I've had from them. It's their mac and cheese covered with this, like, shredded buffalo chicken. And they use, like, the Maywa Nuggets, which is probably my favorite chicken out there. (laughs) And their buffalo sauce. It's not too spicy. It's actually a little bit sweet. It's almost like it's, like, 85% buffalo, 15% barbecue. And then they do a blue cheese drizzle on top of it. And that really pulls everything together. So... Freaking vegan. They really have just won my heart recently.
1: (laughs) I know, seriously. It is phenomenal, though.
0: It is really good. It is really good. And yeah, speaking of the New Jersey VegFest, met a couple of beardos that came out. So just want to give some quick shout-outs to Karen, Barbie, Fernando, uh, Nicole, Tracy, and Tony, uh, and Stephanie Houck who won the button in our Instagram contest and came up and was able to give us the correct pronunciation of her, of her last name, which was not whack or whatever <laughs> we were trying to say. It's howk. Um And then also wanted to give a shout out to, to Carla and brewing good for hooking it up with that coffee.
1: Oh, that coffee. So good.
0: Absolutely. So yeah, definitely check out brewing good. If you ever get a chance anyway, on to the new stuff. Had a chance to check out P.S. Kitchen, which is in New York, New York. It's from the folks behind Terry, and it's notable because all of their profits go to various charities, and on their website they have a breakdown. There's five or six charities that they donate to, and the mission that's stated on their website is, Our mission is to break the cycle of poverty by connecting resources to vulnerable communities, providing tools necessary for self-sustainability, and building meaningful relationships with our neighbors near and far. So I thought that was pretty cool. I was really excited to check them out. I'm definitely a big fan of Terry, one of my favorite, you know, very just run in, grab a really good sandwich for a pretty reasonable price kind of places. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, uh, all of the pictures of of everything that I ate are up on our Instagram. Definitely go over there. And if you're not in on that Instagram action, we do some cool stuff there. We actually just did a contest uh, over there. So make sure you follow the Instagram, get in on that action. And I have to say my favorite dish was this stuffed pepper, and it was uh, stuffed with the Beyond Burger. Ooh. So I was excited just to, you know, I love the Beyond Burger. You can get them in stores all the time now. But I was excited to try the Beyond Burger prepared in a different way. Yeah, And so stuff with this Beyond Burger and it came in, in a paprikash sauce and some russet potatoes were there on the plate as well. And the other thing I really liked was this buffalo hen of the woods, which is, you know, buffalo fried mushrooms. And they came with some German sweet potato salad and a house blue cheese. It was really good. So, everything I tried was very tasty my My complaint about the place was that the portions were incredibly small mm. and like you know paul you and i we don't usually share like negative food stuff on the show because there's just so much good things we like let's just share what's good out there. We don't need to talk shit on some like new local you know vegan spot um but we both left hungry, and when you 're dropping like ninety bucks on a meal, you shouldn't leave hungry and uh They had big plates they had small plates, and they had large plates on the menu and food wise the same amount of food came on both plates, and we each got a small and a large and it was just huh. the size of, it was just like the size of the plate that was larger like it wasn 't actually you know the amount of food that you got that was more, so it was it was kind of disappointing and, and for that reason it would be hard to really tell someone you have to go here because when we got home we were like should we just cook these beyond burgers we have in the fridge right now like it just like i don't know i know like fine dining is not my thing but it felt like kind of a wasted opportunity because i want to tell people to go here i love their mission but it was just like, "Oh, we would have each needed to spend another twenty dollars to get to like a reasonable level of fullness, and so maybe, hey, maybe it's just out of my price range, maybe that's it. I'm not normally one to complain about prices because places have their overhead, they have to charge what they have to charge um but I guess it was just it was just kind of a bummer overall that that we didn't feel like we got a good value on our food, so that's you know food was good. But the the experience wasn't wasn't my favorite.
1: Hmm. That's too bad. I, I might still check it out at some point, but
0: it's know. it's definitely worth checking out. If like you look at the menu and you're like, this is this is your jam, definitely go check it out. The food was very tasty. The service was very good. Um, it just something needed to change about the price point or the or the the portion sizes. So, yeah. I feel like that's the first food bummer we've had on the show in quite a while, but I just feel like I wanted to put it out there because I know that businesses can do better in that regard.
1: Yeah, I feel you. I feel
0: you, Andy. Uh, But Paul. Yes, Andy. You went to two of my favorite places to eat this last week.
1: I did. I went to Modern Love for the first time ever, and uh, I, I wasn't exactly sure what to expect because I knew it was, you know, I knew it was fancier but I didn't think it was like veg fancy or anything like that so I was like do I need to wear something more fancy than like a t-shirt and shorts uh which I did not I wore a t-shirt and shorts in there which was fine but it was the type of place where as soon as I got in there it's like the lights dimmed down and I'm like "Ooh, it's really really set in the mood here modern love <laughs> and um
0: it's in the name Paul
1: it is that's true and it was great I I I got a this like gnocchi dish and I have not had gnocchi in a while. And my, my, as having an Italian family, like my grandma used to make it. Um, so it was a nice, a nice nostalgic dish for me. And it was very, very good. And then for dessert, got this. It was a nice brownie with a big old scoop of vanilla ice cream on top, drizzled with this peanut butter sauce, uh, like a cookie, a little chocolate chip cookie sticking in the ice cream at the top, dollops of whipped cream around it. And it was, it was phenomenal brownies by far my favorite dessert of all time uh so they really they killed it there I I do look forward to going back there and it was not it was more expensive than like if I went to I don't know Blackbird or something like that but it was not unreasonably (laughs) expensive
0: more Uh, expensive than let me pull out some random restaurant out of my head I don't know Blackbird yeah
1: (laughs) 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 but uh no, it was it was not ridiculously expensive. And and I appreciate that. So I will definitely find myself there again, I'm sure.
0: And then uh, the other yes, the, Andy? the the gnocchi, was it just like straightforward, very traditional? What kind of sauce was on it? What's going on with that dish? I need more from you, Paul.
1: So, yeah, it, it was it was not just it was not just like the straight gnocchi. It was like in a bowl, almost soupish. Uh, and and it it had all these other veggies in there. There was broccoli, arugula. There was a nice little dollop of this this almond uh, ricotta cheese, which was also cool. Uh, that was tasty. And it was yeah, it was in this this sauce, which was almost soup like, and and it was some sort of white wine sauce. Uh, it was it was good, Andy. I would like usually I go for the 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 protein heavy dishes. Uh, of which this was not that variety, but today, that day I was like, you know what? I'm going to branch off a little bit. I'm not just going to get like a, (laughs) they, they had a Philly cheesesteak and for a hot minute I was like, should I get the Philly cheesesteak? And I branched out and I got something that I would not normally get. And I do not regret it, Andy.
0: Nice. Yeah. Well, uh, on the protein heavy tip, I would say next time you're there, definitely check out this barbecue tempeh dish that they do. It is phenomenal.
1: Hmm. Maybe I will, Andy.
0: Maybe I will. (laughs) Somehow I don't believe you. <laughs> sounds skeptical. So,
1: so I also got a chance to check out the cinnamon snail, the actual location. So I've I've had the I've had the uh, the food truck at Vegfest a handful of times, and whenever I get that food truck cinnamon snail out of Veg it is typically the best thing or one of the best things that I have that day, which is saying a lot because I'm surrounded by a lot of great food. But this was the first time I got to try the actual location and uh, it was yeah, it was good. I got a a special that was it was just kind of like a seitan burger, just a big slob of seitan. Speaking of <laughs> me, just ordering all of the protein, just a, a big old slob of seitan. There was some mac and cheese in also inside the burger. I believe it was in some sort of barbecue sauce as well. That was good. It was it was uh, a little spicy, which I like. I am into that. And then. I was with my brother and he got the Korean barbecue seitan and that's kind of like a open face sandwich in some served in some greens and also also great also spicy there was like some kimchi in there some greens and then this uh Korean barbecue seitan it was good Andy
0: it's very good yes cinnamon snail they really they do it up they do it up they do do it up All right, so let's move on into our listener question of the week. This one comes to us from Vegan Lifter on Instagram. During your interview with Carol J. Adams, she questioned why veganism needs to include health, environment, or whatever. Why can't it just be about being kind to animals? My question might be a two-parter. One, do you guys think it's bad to get people through the door For other reasons, knowing it's easier to educate someone on animal abuse if they have already changed their diet. So there's more to that question. Let's stop it right there. Let me put that question to you, Paul. Is there something to this idea of getting people through the door with health? Because then it'll be easier to get them on board with other issues?
1: I think so. There are undoubtedly pros and cons to both sides this is not as most things are not a black and white cut and dry issue it's not we're not going to say oh you have to do it this way because that's the the best way and there's no no good about anything else because it is i mean it it can be easier to get people who are already on board with eating a plant-based lifestyle to get on board with veganism that's undoubtedly true i think though one thing that we see and one thing that Andy and myself are both highly critical of is when you get people on board with eating plant-based or eating, quote, vegan for the for the health reasons, uh, you face this, this issue that you would not face if you got them on board uh, for animal reasons. And the issue is that if they do not see the results that they have been kind of guaranteed by eating a plant-based lifestyle. If they don't lose the weight, if they don't reverse all these diseases, if it doesn't cure their depression, then they say, "Well, f this." Like I was told, it would do this thing. I was told it would be healthy, and it's not working for me. So I'm gonna, I'm not gonna do that then. Uh, so I think there are definitely dangers of doing it solely for the health reason, and and, and we don't have this sort of data, but it would be interesting. To gather some data about people who maybe were vegan and aren't vegan anymore and look into the reasons first why they became vegan in the first place, maybe reasons why they left, see if there's any sort of correlations between uh, these different reasons. And then because I think if we had that data, then we we maybe could have a stronger say in being like, oh, no, you should do you should maybe advocate this way because the research shows there's a stronger correlation that they won't stop being vegan. If, if you go just for the animals, or maybe it would be the other way around. Maybe most of the people that go vegan and stay vegan are actually the people that started for the health reasons. Who knows? Uh, but what well, are you actually, say?
0: Paul, um, do you have there, such research? Such research does exist. Um, as, as we have discussed in our interview with Casey Taft way back when, uh, a lot of the people that are doing this research, uh, don't necessarily have the resources to do it in a super wide, super comprehensive way. So I'm sure that there is plenty more research and studying on this that does need to be done. I don't think we can necessarily make any specific conclusions based off of this, but of the evidence and information and and research and data that does exist, um, it points to those who go vegan for ethical reasons are are much more likely to stay with it. Um, so, so, there is that, but again, small sample sizes, you never really know. I think intuitively, it makes sense um for like you were saying, well, if someone wants a specific result and then they don't get it, why would they continue to do a thing and um uh, I just did a panel with uh Ginny Messina uh the other weekend, and she was talk she's the vegan r d she talks all about you know the evidence for plant-based diets and she, you know, her whole thing was kind of like, yes, vegans are less likely to get cancer. No, it does not mean vegans don't get cancer ever, et cetera, et cetera. She's like, the only thing that a vegan diet guarantees is that you're not going to be killing animals for food. And I know some people would argue with that with like the field mice and all that stuff. But generally speaking, you know, the only guarantee is that if you're doing it for ethical reasons, you're not going to harm animals or you're going to be doing your best to not harm animals. Yeah. So it would make sense sort of intuitively that those who do it for ethical reasons, they're immediately seeing the results that they want. They know that they are no longer participating in a system that they don't believe in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But but I do agree. I know plenty of people that went vegan for health reasons, and then once they were sort of confronted with the ethical reasons, they felt way less defensive because they weren't partaking in it, regardless of the reason. So, so there's certainly merit to that. And I think, you know, we often say, It's a tool in the toolbox, but it shouldn't be the be all end all of our activism.
1: And I think that this is not to say if someone is vegan for health reasons, don't go up to them and say, hey, like you're doing this wrong. You need to be doing it this way. Like you need to be doing something different. It's like, you know, guide them, guide them towards towards having hopefully having these ethics where they they believe that using animals is is wrong like help guide them towards something you don't need to just because we would not specifically advocate for being vegan because of the health reasons doesn't mean that someone that's already vegan because of the health reasons we need to go up to them and say like no you're wrong like i you're wrong i want you to keep doing the same thing that you're doing except i want you to think differently about it like don't you know it's like or someone else that maybe is advocating because of health reasons i mean maybe talk to them about why you think they should be going about this some different way but i don't think it's necessarily grounds to like trash other people or something like that
0: absolutely absolutely i think i I do hate it when i see people that are like you're not valid you're not vegan for valid reasons or any of that stuff it's like you know even even if for us the ethical argument speaks to us the most i think that like we're going to get the most accomplished by being encouraging of others and and not shooting them down or telling them that they're fake vegans um or telling them that like y- you if you're not very vegan for health you might as well just not do it like all that stuff like it's to me that's just really counterproductive
1: but i think on that same note i think we can have conversations with other advocates about some of the possible pitfalls and traps that they might fall into such as like guaranteeing promises that, that you can't literally, literally there's no way you can guarantee guaranteeing these kind of health benefits that you can't guarantee. Like we can, we can have discussions with other advocates that are doing these things and let them know like, Hey, like I think what you're doing is like sometime down the line, like this effect might happen that maybe you haven't thought about that before. So it's like, you can have these discussions with people just, you know, Don't be a jerk about it.
0: Don't be a jerk, Paul. That's the philosophy. So uh,
1: let's go on into the second question. The second question says, is there any merit to the idea that if being kind to animals alone was enough to persuade people, the world would be a lot more vegan already?
0: Well, I think that you could say that about anything. I think uh, it's clear that Vegan Lifter is sort of getting at us sort of saying the vegan, the health argument is a good argument. But I think that you could say, well, if being healthy alone was the a good enough reason, wouldn't the world be vegan already? Or if the environment alone was a good enough reason when the, the world be vegan already, you know, I think that there's still a lot of people that need to be reached with this message. I still think there's a lot of people that need to be exposed to how delicious vegan food can be and, and how good people can feel while they're doing it. So, um, I feel like the phrasing of this question is like is one that assumes that everyone has been reached with that message in a productive and constructive way already, and I don't think that's necessarily the case. And I think for a lot of us, e- even those of us who went vegan, we were reached with that message, and it usually has to get through to us multiple times before we start to mm-hmm. take action on those things. So I don't think that this specific reason is reason enough to say abandon the ethical side and just focus on on health I don't necessarily think that's what vegan lifter is proposing here but i do I, I don't necessarily think that because the ethical argument hasn't reached every single person yet to me that's not necessarily reason enough to be like oh okay let's just talk about health now or let's mostly talk about health now um, but again I think Activism is is personalized. No one message is going to reach every single person. So like, yeah, some people, the health argument is going to be what speaks most to them. And I think use that tool in your conversation. Just be mindful of how you use that tool.
1: And I I think, you know, it's like there are we've had a couple thousand years, thousands of years of meat eating ingrained into humanity where less than or equal to 1% of the population has not participated in that. Even even if to us it seems so obvious, like, yeah, you want to be kind to animals. Like, yeah, you want to be kind to animals. So why are you still eating meat? People genuinely think that they like animals, they love animals, they are kind to animals, but still participate in this thing just because it's so ingrained in society and in, in our culture, you know?
0: Yeah, and, and get defensive when you would suggest that their actions prove otherwise. So uh, it, there's like there's so many mechanisms that we have to break through.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Andy, so I think it's time to move on to the news.
0: Right on. We've got some good news today, Paul.
1: Oh, that's good. That's good to hear.
0: <laughs> we like to hear the good news. All right, this first one is coming to us from One Green Planet, and the title of the article is, A new aquarium opened in Times Square, and we're totally on board with it. So that title certainly piqued my interest. Hmm. I saw some of my Sea Shepherd friends posting it, and I was like, hmm, what's going on here? What's going on here? It's very clickbaity. So, very clickbaity, for sure. Something we know nothing about. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so reading from that article, the experience is called Encounter Ocean Odyssey and it takes visitors on a mesmerizing tour into the depths of the Pacific Ocean. You can walk through coral reefs, witness giant squid and massive schools of fish envelop you, interact with marine mammals, and see sharks up close and personal. Ooh. Yeah, and so this is... um, It's like footage that's created and it's very lifelike. It says the footage is unbelievably lifelike and was made by the animators responsible for the visual effects of game of Thrones. And the soundtrack was created by a Grammy award winning composer. Additionally, there are features about conservation and plastic pollution that inspire people to protect our oceans and the icing on the cake. 27% of each ticket sale goes directly towards ocean conservation. Yeah. So it seems like it's, it's like kind of an interactive display that you're, you're walking through and I'm on board with that. Um, it seems way cooler than an actual aquarium, you know, minus the whole fish jail aspect of it. But like you actually get up close. The article was talking about how, you know, aquariums, you don't actually see fish behaving naturally you know, they're in captivity. And so this is a way to actually see these, these creatures, these animals behaving as they naturally would. And of course, you know, having giant squid and all these other uh, marine animals that, you know, aren't typically found in like your local aquarium. Uh, I think that is, that's really cool. So I'm, I'm going to try and make the effort to go visit this and report back.
1: Heck yeah, Andy. I've, I've spent that whole time. You were talking, trying to think of a good on board pun that, cause you said you're on board before and. Like a sea shepherd boat, something like that. Uh,
0: uh, swing but and yeah, miss, Paul.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is. I, I this is. It's cool, and and it's awesome that a l- large percentage of the uh, ticket sales are going to ocean conservation. Twenty seven percent is not a small amount.
0: Indeed, it is not. Uh, especially
1: because I would imagine uh, this probably was not cheap to create, because that like that animation stuff is very expensive.
0: What if the dragons from Game of Thrones just show up? Underwater? Would be
1: totally into it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, let's move on to this next one. Speaking of of conservation groups, Paul
1: so, coming to us from the WWF, and Andy, I'm not talking about the World Wrestling Federation.
0: Oh, should I put down this metal chair?
1: <laughs> talking about the World Wildlife Foundation. They put out a kind of like PDF pamphlet. It's only about, I think it's like seven pages or so, called Appetite for Destruction. Uh, which still, when I, when I look at, I, right, right in the show notes, I have written WWF, Appetite for, Disru- for Destruction. Still sounds like a uh, wrestling, <laughs> a wrestling thing, but um, maybe that's it's what their new going compilation
0: for. of entrance music. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and basically what this is is it's kind of it's a report being put out by the WWF about how our diets are affecting the environment. Essentially, nothing nothing really new there. But uh, I'm going to read through just a little bit of this. We can talk about it for a little bit, but this is actually going to come back in our main discussion, Andy. uh, But I felt like it was worth showing up because it's, you know, current anyways. So reading a little bit from this. Food is at the heart of many of the issues WWF focuses on. Through our work on sustainable diets, we know a lot of people are aware of the impact a meat-based diet has on water, land, and habitats and the implications of its associated greenhouse gas emissions. But few know the largest impact comes from the crop-based feed the animals eat, In a world where more and more people adopt a Western diet, one that's high in meat, dairy, and processed food, producing crops to feed our livestock is putting an enormous strain on our natural resources and is a driving force behind wide-scale biodiversity loss. The UK food supply alone is directly linked to the extinction of an estimated 33 species at home and abroad. So that was kind of like the introductory statement. um, And then I just pulled a couple other quotes Randomly throughout it, Uh, this one I found was interesting and we'll tie in later. In 2010, the British livestock industry needed an area the size of Yorkshire to produce the soy used in feed. And if the global demand for animal products grows as anticipated, it's estimated that soy production would need to increase by nearly 80% to feed all the animals destined for our plates. It's talking about not just the effect that, like raising all these animals has on the environment but then also the effect of having to raise the crops to feed said animals has on our environment the growing demand for livestock products and the associated intensification and agricultural expansion threaten the biodiversity of these areas and the resource and water security of their inhabitants as well as the stability of our food supply so the the essence of this whole thing is like this is a problem if it keeps growing it's killing species it's destroying the land um, and we need to do something about it at the very end they kind of give a few suggestions so some of the things they recommend eat less animal protein specifically they say they mention how the typical western diet we're eating much more protein than is necessary so they say like only eat the amount of protein that is really necessary uh, so that's one thing they suggest. They say, eat more plants. We can get get behind that. Waste less food. We can get behind that. And then they also suggest this. They say to replace the animal feed uh, with a more sustainable option. And that, I was bummed to see this because that's not, th- that was like one of the few things in this whole report that was not aligned with veganism, I guess, because it's like, Yes, they are talking about just reducing animal consumption, but still, it's like, eat less animals, that's good. Eat more plants, that's good. Waste less food, that's good. But then this is now just talking about getting a different source for the feed for animals. So it's still raising all the animals, uh, which we would not want, and some of the suggestions they gave were like insect sources of feed, like crickets and stuff like that, uh, which would also certainly not go along with our... our, uh, ethics if we were now instead of growing soy to feed the the cattle we are growing crickets to feed the cattle snowpiercer style <laughs> spoiler alert
0: <laughs> damn it <Paul>.
1: um <laughs> so so that was the one thing in this whole report that that bummed me out because the rest of it was kind of like we need to do something about this the meat and dairy industry, the livestock agricultural industry is destroying the planet. We need to do something about it. And it was all leading towards veganism. And then they throw in this one little curveball at the end. Uh, but overall, it did seem to to kind of it seemed to to bolster the, the argument for veganism.
0: Yeah, that's cool. And, you know, despite their image as being like an animal, a pro animal like organization, obviously not a vegan one. Uh, they certainly have come under fire from vegans in the past. Um, I did find uh, an article from PETA, of course, you know, but it talks about uh, how the WWF has pushed for animal testing, has endorsed the Canadian seal slaughter and shooting of elephants for sport, and uh, a couple other offenses. So, and that that was from 2011 that I read, but maybe things have changed. But either way. I think this is a welcome step in the right direction from WWF. So I certainly feel encouraged by that. I think that I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of this was actually motivated by Cowspiracy and, you know, how that film got a lot of people questioning these large organizations and pressuring them to finally take a stand on what is actually the the root cause of a lot of issues that these organizations advocate for. So, yeah, I think imperfect, but definitely a step in the right direction.
1: Yeah. All right. So, like I mentioned before, I'm going to bring this article back into our main discussion, but I felt like since it was current, uh, it was worth worth uh, putting in the news section. But Andy, you got one more news item for us?
0: Yes. Hit, it, yes. hit us with this it. This just 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 happened. Um <laughs>
1: I'll tell you Andy, I got I got a notification of it probably an hour ago and I was thought to myself, there's no way Andy got this into the show notes that quickly and I looked and it was there. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I. This is this is a big thing. A lot of people are celebrating it. Uh, this article is coming to us from the Times and in, in the UK. Gucci, a huge fashion brand, is no longer going to include fur in their new collection. So, reading from this article, and also add this to our list of amazing names that we've said on the show. <laughs> Marco Bazzari.
1: <laughs> my Andy, my middle name is very close to that guy's last name. Bazzari. Yeah. What's your
0: little name? Really? Yeah. Great middle name. I don't know why you're going by Paul. (laughs) But that means your initials are PB, Peanut Butter Stellar. Reel it in. Anyway, (laughs) reel it in. Marco Bazzari, the president of Gucci, said yesterday, Do you think using furs today is still modern? I don't think it's still modern, and that's the reason why we decided not to do that. It's a little bit outdated. Creativity can jump in many different directions instead of using furs. So a lot of articles I read were pointing towards pressure from animal rights advocates being the reason for the change. Bizarre here is saying that it's just because it's kind of outdated, but I think either way, a lot of the success of this could point towards the work of animal rights advocates, because there has been so much work done towards making fur feel one outdated, but also just like not a cool thing to wear. Obviously there are still plenty of people that do a lot of people that wear like Canada goose, for instance, but I think that like definitely the climate of fur has changed over the years, and I'm sure that that helped influence some of these fashion designers that are are dropping fur so yeah and then i actually found a follow-up article from bloomberg that said first suddenly looks unfashionable in the world of high fashion it was kind of talking about how gucci for a lot of brands kind of sets the tone and sets the pace and how there's been other brands pretty high name brands in in recent history that have dropped it but none of them are having as much of an impact as gucci so um it, the article just said, Italian fashion house Gucci says it will be selling its remaining fur items in a charity auction and won't create any new ones as of next spring. So, to me, this is definitely cool. I, I like it. I'm sure the single-issue haters are are not super stoked on this. Obviously, this isn't like everyone in the world going vegan, but I think that it it kind of shows how like trends can start to help animals. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be some designers that double down on their use of fur and can kind of make that their thing. Like, oh, the world's gone all PC liberal and no one wants fur anymore, but we're still going to stand strong against those SJWs and and we're going to keep using fur. You know, I'm sure that there will be people like that out there. But I think that in general, the trends moving away from fur is a good thing. Um, but... In terms of single-issue campaigns, Paul, I think a lot of this does sort of go back to our conversations about fur and us talking about, like, well, is it really any ethically different than using leather, which is so much more widely used anyway? And uh, according to Bloomberg, though the company continues to sell crocodile skin handbags and a myriad offerings made from leather— Animal rights groups called the move a watershed in their long campaign against the use of mink, fox, rabbit, and other hides by the luxury industry. So they're still going to be using crocodile skin and leather. Yeah. So it's, that's a bummer, but yeah. maybe we can pressure them to get rid of those.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, I guess it's steps, small steps.
0: Yeah. I, and I, Small, part, small steps. part of me is like, I, I want to celebrate where we can. But then also kind of like, uh, like fur. it's such a fringe issue compared to like all these other, you know, like, um, animal agriculture and actually Carl Lagerfeld, who is the chief designer for Chanel and Fendi and his own self-titled label, uh, in one of the articles, he says in a meat eating world, wearing leather for shoes and even clothes, the discussion of fur is childish. And so I'm sure that's one of the designers is going to double down on use of fur, but I don't know. What do you make of that statement?
1: I, I like, I get where he's coming from and, 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 you know, it's like, we've, we've kind of mentioned before how it's just like the, the amount of animals, if you're just purely looking at numbers that are being used for, for food is just like so much astronomically larger And not that that's a reason to do anything like use fur. Uh, And and again, like you said, Andy, it's like good. This is this is undoubtedly a good step that's happening. Um, But I understand where his argument or where his statement is coming from being like, well, it's like, why do you guys even like, why do you guys care about this? Like, I'm going to go home and and eat a steak. You're not going to criticize me about that, but you're going to criticize the fur. So it's like I I get why he would have that viewpoint. I mean, he could also just be being a jerk.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of plays to the, well, you're not doing everything. Seem so as well. Do nothing kind of mentality. Yeah. But I get, I I get like, it's, it's like, it's like weird to on some level agree with this guy that really profits off the exploitation of animals. And and I I bet like you know some of the abolitionist folks, some of the folks that like ra- Ikarazi would like agree. They're like, yeah, why do you care about this fur when there's all these other billions of animals that are being slaughtered for food? And you, know, you don't care about these other things. You're just working so hard to get rid of fur.
1: Yeah, but you know, I guess it's still a good thing. I mean, I think it's still something that's good.
0: Like like we're we're happier that this is happening than not happening.
1: Yeah. And Andy, do you think, though, that victories like this, no matter how small, do you think that this is an example of why we should do more stuff like this?
0: Ooh, that's a good question, Paul.
1: I know. Thank you.
0: I don't know. I mean, I still, for me personally, I think that I I kind of fall back on the fact that vegans don't wear fur. So if you get someone to go vegan and then they are, you know, properly educated on what being vegan truly means, it's not just the diet aspect, then you sort of knock down a number of dominoes in one hit as opposed to going after individual companies and getting each individual company to remove the fur. You know, it's like how much time and effort was spent to get them to remove fur versus could that time have been better spent educating, you know, XYZ, whatever number of people to go vegan But I also do appreciate the kind of the message that it sends of getting this top clothing brand to adopt the stance that they're not going to include fur anymore. And the message that that sends to the rest of the industry, you know, the fashion industry is one where everyone's kind of taking cues from each other and there's sort of gatekeepers and leaders. and, and, And so having one of the leaders of this industry say fur is out, we're not doing fur anymore. And hopefully they don't go, hopefully it's not like, okay, first back in this season in a couple of years or something, you know, that could also obviously happen, but it seems like in general, their statements lead me to believe they're not going to go back to selling fur. So it's like, yeah, I I appreciate this.
1: And, and I just thought of something else, Andy, and I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, maybe give an argument for why this is this sort of form, form of advocacy is a good thing for a second, Andy, because while it's certainly, vastly important if not the most important form of advocacy is getting individuals to go vegan getting the individuals to go vegan we also need to get you know we we need people at the 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 policy level we need people like at the at the political level we also need people that are doing work on companies as well because you could make the argument that if you get enough people to go vegan they just won't wear this stuff anymore and then the company will go out of business but Maybe not so much for fur, but for meat in general, like that's going to be a long time before meat just goes out of business. But if you can get people to go to the meat companies and you can get people to say like, hey, this is going to be the trend. You might as well get on board now. It's kind of like you're expediting the process is you're attacking it from both ends. You're attacking the company and you're attacking the you're not attacking individuals hopefully but you're advocating to the individuals and with this fur thing specifically while andy and i both agreed the best way is to just get people to go vegan you probably couldn't go to a like the company you probably couldn't go to gucci and say like you need to go vegan they would be like no fuck you but instead what they're what the advocates are doing is they're like chipping away at one specific portion of the the company which is Probably more digestible to them and, and as we see because it just happened, I, like something that's attainable. Am I making any sense? Yeah. I, I guess. I guess my overall point is sometimes – and this is maybe in favor of single-issue campaigns. I can't believe I'm saying this, Andy. But it's hard to go to a company and say go vegan. While I do believe we should go to individuals and say go vegan, for certain companies – It's not going to be as easy to attain if you go to a a company and say, you should change your entire company so that it's vegan. It's easier to attack these single pieces of it. So maybe that's a a point in favor of single issue campaigns.
0: Yeah. I'm sure like the effective altruists would would kind of weigh that out. And it's like, okay, getting one person to go vegan means they're not going to buy like one fur coat every 10 years versus getting this company to, you know, get rid of the fur. That also means that, like, you know, a myriad of animals are saved in, in one fell swoop versus this, like, one person at a time thing. So I get that as well. Yeah. I think I think many angles. And, and certainly, you know, having headlines like this around the world is not bad, you know, people seeing how the times are changing. So it could help change people's attitudes. I think especially because it's not just, like, the the headlines weren't just we think it's unethical to use fur. It was like fur is outdated. It's not modern anymore. So I think the people that are probably wearing fur, cause they think it is those things. They think it is, you know, contemporary and modern and, and hip and all that stuff. If all of a sudden Gucci is like, you bro, stop wearing that fur. I think that's probably going to have a really big impact as well.
1: Yeah. You know, actually when I, you just reminded me, I had that thought too, when you read the like when you started reading it because i was thinking to myself i was like all right how can we get meat to become quote outdated like how do we get it how can we get that to happen uh if they can do it with fur it's gonna be a bigger battle but how can we get it so that it's no longer cool to eat meat just like that's that's kind of what i think a lot of the fur advocates do is they say like you know this is not this is like you said this is outdated so how can I don't know how to do that, Andy. I don't know if it's possible, but it's just a thought that popped into my dome.
0: Maybe with a T-shirt that says, Meat is so uncool.
1: Meat is so uncool. And it has Garfield, <laughs> and he's wearing this cool guy sunglasses on it.
0: Yeah. I'll jump right on that, Paul.
1: All right, cool. Thank you.
0: <laughs> All right. I think it's time we move on into our main topic of the week, where we're going to ask the question... What would happen to all those non-vegan jobs if the world went vegan? And we hear this all the time when when people are like, "Well, what about the farmers? What about the slaughterhouse workers? Like they're going to lose their jobs." Don't do you wish poor economic times upon these people? Like how cruel are you that you want someone to lose their livelihood just so that you can save some animals? And so we're going to we're going to do a deep dive into this question. So, deep, deep dive. Deep, deep dive. You got, you got your Speedo on, Paul?
1: <laughs> Still never took it off, Andy, from episode 100. <laughs> Are you a, a never nude? <laughs> um, so this topic was spurred, to use a non-vegan term, uh, <laughs> through a an article from Vice that was titled, All These Jobs Would Be Lost If the UK Went Completely Vegan. And we're going to pull in a lot of other articles, but the essence of most of these articles if is is they're all like, What's going to happen if the world goes vegan? And we are going to specific because there's, you know, there's a big economic piece to this as well, which we will maybe touch upon a tiny bit. But that's that would be an an entire other discussion. I think we're going to kind of focus it around the job aspect of it. So let's dive into this. Imagining what would happen to the national economy and the countryside at large in the wake of a veganism epidemic. Ooh, scary! Is this
0: is this our Halloween episode, Paul? Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, um, the article kind of starts off presenting to you like a—it's uh, talking about one this one specific farmer, and it's you know it's portraying him as the the caring farmer who cares about his pigs before he sends them to be murdered and it's like trying to get you to sympathize for uh, for him and it's saying like oh and, and his job is going to be taken away if the world goes vegan so I'm going to read a little bit from this article according to the Department for Environment Food and Rural Affairs, approximately five hundred thousand people in the uk work within farming enterprises. While this industry only directly accounts for 1.35% of the British workforce, it largely exists in concentrated areas. There are several areas of the country where livestock production is the only feasible industry you have, and you couldn't do anything else. You're looking at about 100,000 to 200,000 livelihoods. Then you've got other areas that would be affected, such as tourism, foreign trade, and of course, the food industry. It goes on a little bit later. Only 16% of farmers earn an average salary of more than 50,000 pounds a year. The general picture of livestock farmers is much more modest, with an average annual salary of 20,000 pounds, or 16,500 if you're in Wales. Purely plant-based farms, however, take home around 30,000 pounds to 60,000 pounds per year. Hence, if we all went vegan, it wouldn't be the wealthier farmers feeling the pinch. So, there's reasons why this that statement does matter, but... The, my immediate thought was like, well, wouldn't this be good then? If if those farmers <laughs> could switch to to plant based, then they would be making more money. Uh, so it it seems like that was almost an argument for like, oh well, yeah. If if they if they are able, if these agriculture animal agricultural farmers are able to switch to plant agriculture, then they would be making, uh, in some cases, three times as much money. But the article does then go into how a lot of the the land that's that's used in these areas would not be suitable for plant agriculture or growing plants. So it's not necessarily going to be the thing where you can say, oh, you were raising cows. Now you're just going to raise soy or now you're just going to raise lettuce or something like that. Um, It's not kind of always the case where a farmer could switch from growing one crop to growing another crop.
0: Yeah, it's, which I, I think that that is sort of the typical vegan response, right? Like, we were like, okay, well, the the horse bug, and buggy industry has basically been replaced by the, the car industry. So why wouldn't, Animal agriculture just get replaced by plant based agriculture. I feel like this article presents really flimsy evidence for why that wouldn't necessarily be the case. For like the land argument that that could go either way, I suppose, but the article says unfortunately it wouldn't be as simple as everyone just switching to growing crops, partly because there just wouldn't be the demand, and also because the British countryside can't accommodate it. I don't get why he says there wouldn't be the demand because is that assuming people are eating less food? Like what, what assumption is there? If, if there's enough demand that uh, someone raising animals would have to go out of business, why wouldn't there then be enough demand for someone to grow vegetables in place of those animals?
1: Is that maybe talking about how a lot of the current plant farmers are growing feed for livestock. And if we don't have the livestock, then we would not need as many plant farmers.
0: That's possible. I I don't think the article really makes that clear, but I I do think that that is something to consider. I think in terms of this argument, well, everyone just switches over to one thing. Well, the other vegan argument is we're going to need to grow less food. If everyone was vegan because of the conversion rate of crops that are then fed to animals and then fed to humans. And, and so it's like, okay, yeah, I think that overall we probably would need less land. That's all the, all the, all the vegan literature says that. Um, I know there are people that refute that, but you know, okay, so we're going to need less land and that would in theory mean less crops being grown. Is it so much less that like a ton of people are going to lose their jobs? I guess that's what we're here to explore.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and also I had found kind of on the to, to as a rebuttal for the the land argument, which is saying like, oh, uh, th- like they couldn't like the the land couldn't accommodate. Well, it's, it's interesting because in that in the same sentence, it says this is the quote. Unfortunately, it wouldn't be as simple as everyone just switching to growing crops, partly because there just wouldn't be the demand. And also because the British countryside can't accommodate it in that same argument one side of it is saying there's too many plant farms and the other argument is saying there can't be enough plant farms because there's not enough land to accommodate it you know what i mean
0: well i i get i get what this is saying because essentially it's saying right now a lot of land that can't be used to grow vegetables is just like livestock that's grazing and then and then that can't be used to grow vegetables so but yeah, it is a weird contradictory statement, but I understand where this is coming yeah.
1: from. Yeah, and, and I actually, I was trying to look a little bit more into like the uh, farmable land issue. And one thing that I did find was this, it was this uh, article on fastcompany.com that said this farm in a box can grow as much lettuce as an acre of land. And it was basically in these kind of, their they figured out a way to grow lettuce in these storage containers. And it was just this very, very small amount of space. And they were able to grow massive amounts of, of lettuce. And of course we, you might be saying, well, this isn't necessarily going to solve the, the job crisis. But as, as we'll get into in a little bit later with the, the jobs and losing jobs, it's like, this is, this is a great example of, some form of technology that is directly related to the issue that we're talking about and how there are going to be different job opportunities. Maybe there'll be job opportunities surrounding these lettuce boxes uh, or, or any, any other technology related to this. It's like, there are going to be different kinds of jobs as this technology kind of increases. So in an answer to the, there's not enough land argument is you can be like, well, look, people are developing ways of growing crops that don't even need land just like with the the lab grown meat the clean meat people are developing ways of growing meat without needing animals and without needing the land for animals so it's this is uh gonna lead perfectly into our kind of technology and automation conversation
0: rhyme intended speaking of being more efficient though paul Mm -hmm. Do you think we could just combine the words job and opportunity into job opportunity?
1: Ooh, I like that.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I mean, when, when I saw that you had picked out the example of like the lettuce in a box thing, I was like, come on, Paul, like this is not, this is not going to solve like the food issue. This is not how everyone's going to be able to feed themselves, but you're definitely right in that. I think that a lot of these arguments suffer from a lack of imagination In that it's like we couldn't possibly think of some system that is outside of the current agricultural system. But we're seeing so many changes in that realm right now. So it's like, well, just because the the solution isn't here at this very moment doesn't mean that we wouldn't come up with a solution. And I, I think that a lot of these problems that we're dealing with are ones that we need to deal with regardless of if the world goes vegan because as the population grows and we need to feed more people we're going to be running out of land anyway and so there are people that are working on solving these problems regardless of the fact that it some might want to eat vegetables instead of you know meat from animals.
1: Yeah, and Andy, you know what you know what uh could some some people would argue could bolster imagination and creativity
0: eating vegetables
1: <laughs> no, automation and universal basic income which we will not talk about right now but am gonna put a little get a little pit, put a little pin in that put it's a pin in both, that put a pin in that but um let me finish up this this vice article but to answer you andy yeah it's like the, the i i do not believe that box lettuce is going to save the world but it's just a good example of innovations in growing food and how uh it's like things are Aren't the way right now that they were ten, twenty, a hundred years ago in terms of growing food, and they are probably not going to be the way that they are in ten, twenty, a hundred years from now.
0: Yeah. Well, before you move on, I had some some more thoughts on the use of land. Um, you know, obviously, we are in the U.S. We're talking about an article that's based in the U.K. and they have way less land over there. And and when we talk about land for growing crops, we're talking about arable land, which is essentially defined as like land that can be plowed and used for crops, versus land that say is only good for grazing. Um, could be a steep hillside, something like that. But it makes me think about, and this is something that I'm not educated enough on to speak super authoritatively on, but it does make me think about you know GMOs and, and reading recently that book uh, Just Food by James McWilliams, Williams, talking about how much greater yields can be produced per acre with GMO foods versus organically grown foods. And, you know, some people on the other side of that say, well, that's unsustainable. That still requires kind of an infinite growth of the amount of yield per acre. But it does make me think, okay, there's there's rooms for improvement even within the land that we currently do have. And then I was looking at um, a report by the Department of Business Innovation and Skills, which is a UK government organization. They were talking about how are we going to feed this population that's going to be huge by 2050. They mentioned the GMOs. They also mentioned the need to deal with food waste because in the UK, up to 40% of the food that is purchased is thrown away. So it's like they're kind of saying like there's already enough food to feed the amount of people that we're going to have in 2050. But we're just throwing away so much of it. And so we need to work on solutions for that as well. So, so I think that we need to also make sure we don't get too caught up in like, well, what about the land and this and that? So I think there's also room for improvement within our current system, within the current land, the current amount of food that we're already producing. So, again, I felt like this article that we're talking about really suffered from a lack of imagination or forward thinking for problem solving.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Andy. That's a good point. And the, the last little piece that I wanted to bring out of the article uh, doesn't necessarily have exactly to do with this main discussion that we're having, but it did have something that they, they said something that was kind of I, I made me think like, I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, so let me read this out to you, Andy. You can tell me what you think. So this is the argument that they start making is that decreasing animal agriculture is actually going to negatively impact the environment. And they say, yes, cattle does release methane, but the benefits for the environment of grazing livestock far outweighs the cost. It's fantastic for the biodiversity of the land. We can now use much more of the land than we used to be able to as a result of grazing. Farming animals may actually be better for the carbon footprint. Without animals, you'd have to use manufactured fertilizers, which means using more fossil fuels and chemicals. And then later on they say... The rapid reduction of livestock farming would be disastrous for cherished species or habitats. (laughs) To name a few potential repercussions, you'd see a loss of trees and wildlife, large areas of bracken scrub inhabited by dormice, scatterings of granite boulders, wild, unkempt feral animals, and mass flooding due to dilapidated fencing. As it turns out, much of the UK's landscape as it stands today is a direct result of British livestock farmers and their animals, of course. And I was like I was just like excuse excuse me what like I've in 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 all of the different arguments that I think I've heard against veganism I don't think I've ever heard no animal agriculture is great for the environment like that is not one that I think I've ever heard before and that's what they're trying to put forward right now um Andy I told you I would reference that the WWF article before which is basically in direct opposition to what this is saying. The WWF article says animal agriculture is terrible for biodiversity. And this is saying animal agriculture is fantastic for biodiversity. Uh, So I don't even know if we need to talk about this. I think it's kind of rubbish.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that agriculture in general, at least industrial agriculture even even on like the smaller scale though like when you just see some animals that are grazing out in the field it's really counter to biodiversity i i think vegan or not you know when we're taking huge swaths of land and we're dedicating them to raising one specific crop you know we're not talking about permaculture here uh we're talking about the monoculture when you de- dedicate land to growing one thing that's like the opposite of biodiversity and this description of this like large barren wasteland with mass flooding, due to dilapidated fencing and dormice and all this stuff—it's like what? It's this weird post-apocalyptic wasteland. <laughs> it, it's th-
1: because we stopped eating animals.
0: Yeah, exactly. It, yeah, it definitely it goes counter to so much of what we have learned from non-unbiased sources as well—not just like vegan sources. But there's obviously there are plenty of environmental organizations right now that are realizing how horrible animal agriculture is for the environment. And so, yes, I, I do see people making the argument that, you know, localized permaculture, small, you know, sourced farming can work in harmony with the environment and could potentially be used to enrich the environment. Um, but it's certainly not a system that can feed the world. So I don't know, this whole this whole article, some might call it a bit of a stretch.
1: <laughs> so, I want to move on from this article. However, one point that I do want to highlight from it is at the very beginning when they say the animal agriculture industry only directly accounts for 1.35% of the British workforce. And you might be thinking to yourself, it's not a very large amount of the workforce. And I think you would be thinking correctly if you thought that. And... I actually found now this is gonna go back to the the US, but I found a, a website, it's called agclassroom.org, uh, Growing a Nation, the Story of American Agriculture, and I specifically <laughs> pulled out the it, it had it and this is cool that it had this, uh they were getting information from the National Institute of Food and Agriculture they were getting information from the USDA uh this website was updated in 2014 and and I only say that because if you go to the website it looks like it was made in 1998
0: but uh, is like is it a geocities website website flaming <laughs> <claiming> text
1: <laughs> no it's a dot org but um but it I only bring those those points up because like I I think I hope that this is credible information and one thing that it gave was it gave the percentage and the population and percentage of farmers in the US at different points in US history and i think you'll see the the, the trend here in 1950 there was 12.2%, 1960 8.3, 1970 4.6, 80 3.4 and then 1990 it was only 2.6% of the labor force so in 40 years we went from farmers being Twelve point two percent to two point six percent. So, like, animal agriculture is on the decline as a as a viable job.
0: Well, Paul, let me ask you: is is that decline because the the amount of farmers needed has gone down, or just because the population has grown around it, around the amount of farmers that are currently? Is like the amount of farmers stable for those 40 years and then like the population's growing and people that are coming into the population are just choosing to become web developers or whatever <laughs> whatever else <laughs> their jobs there are out there um it, it, do you have any intuition on that so th-
1: some data that i also got from the same website was it, it gave the actual number of farmers and the number of farms uh so this might get some insight into that because andy you are correct that It does have to do with just the general population of the United States as well, because from 1950 to 1990, the population of farmers actually did increase. In 1950, the total population of farmers was 150 million, whereas in 1990, it was 260 million. So it did increase. The the number of farmers did increase, but the number of farms actually decreased from 5.3 4 million about to 2.1 million. So I don't know. You can do, do you, do you have any insight about with that added information, Andy? No, nope. I, I still, I, cause I still feel like the, the, the important number is just the percentage of the workforce and the fact that it is de- decreased so much. And, and I think this could be accounted like, like you were saying, I think there are, different jobs that people can have there are always going to be these like newer jobs i don't um i don't know if it's necessarily that necessary that farmers are have are becoming like obsolete or unnecessary but i do think it's like there's this trend of there's so many other new jobs that people can have and i think the reason why this is important to bring up is because um it's like there's this trend that that less and less a less a smaller percentage of the population is doing this kind of work and if this trend continues it's like it's leading towards zero and and you know from 1950 to 1990 as as much as i wish it was like i don't think that this trend is a result of vegan advocates i think this is just progress and time moving forward you know
0: yeah fair enough so so like the, uh, the portion of the population that are farmers has gone down. Obviously mm-hmm. that doesn't mean we don't need food anymore. We don't need food grown from farmers anymore. Does that mean that farming has become more efficient over time?
1: I I think I think it's probably a combination of becoming more efficient and then also just these other job opportunities opening up Um, and and people doing other things
0: uh, job opportunities paul job (laughs)
1: excuse me job opportunities that's better (laughs) one thing that we also did a little bit of research into was job automation and robots taking over the world and this these articles that we found don't they aren't specifically talking about this is what's going to happen if the world goes vegan but uh they are talking about like a what i would consider a related issue and and definitely related to the fear of losing jobs because of this change, whether the change is automation or the change is veganism. So let me read a little bit from this Forbes.com article, how the coming wave of job automation will affect you and the U.S. And this was in February 2017. Stephen Birkenfield, a managing director in the investment banking division at Barclays, summed up the thought process of companies hiring today. Can I automate it? If not, can I outsource it? If not, can I give it to an independent contractor? Hiring an employee is the last resort. Over the past four decades, millions of jobs have been lost to automation. The manufacturing sector is a prime example. While productivity has increased, employment has fallen. A 2013 study from the University of Oxford concluded that 47% of jobs in the U.S. will likely be automated over the next two decades. And a 2015 report by McKinsey found that the majority of tasks performed in sectors like manufacturing and food service can be automated with currently demonstrable technology. Due to an inability to secure a full-time job, McKinsey estimated 20-30% to of workers now partake in contingency work to supplement their income. And then the last little bit of piece of information from this article in 2013, the department of labor predicted 65% of school children will be employed in jobs that don't yet exist.
0: That that's pretty interesting.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I I just, I feel like, and I get it. I get, I get the fear. The fear is today I have this job tomorrow. This job no longer exists. Therefore I am out of a job, but I, I think it's like, as much as, well, actually I was, Andy, this was, what was about to say, I was about to say as much as I would like the world to go vegan tomorrow night, but, or, or tonight, I guess
0: <laughs> like um, one last night of slaughtering those animals Paul.
1: <laughs> as much as I would like that to happen. That's what I was going to say. But at the same time, it's like, I do acknowledge that there are these other, these other f- issues that that surround it that will be affected by it. But realistically, That's not going to happen. Realistically, it's going to take a decently long time. And in the history of the world, it's like there have always been these changes, these big changes, Um, a lot of times due to new technologies coming out where people have been like, no, this is going to make us like lose all our jobs and and it's never going to work. And people resist it for a while because of that. But then eventually it happens and everything, you know, relatively turns out okay. as as much as. Uh, our current earth can things can turn out. Okay. And, and I think that this is just kind of another example of this. And that last little quote, I feel like really nails that home. Um, 65% of school children will be employed in jobs that don't yet exist. I think it's, it's like you said, to quote you, Andy, uncreative, uh, to, to think that we would not be able to figure this out, that, that what would happen was over 10, 20 years, hopefully the world goes vegan. And in those 10, 20 years, it's just like, well, these people are out of their jobs. We can't figure out what to do with them. Guess they're out of luck. So I, I think, I think that that is, that is like a big, I don't know. I think that that could be a good response to someone who is concerned about losing their job because of this.
0: Yeah. And I get that. It's, like you said, it's a scary thing, and it's, it's hard for someone to imagine who's, like, a fifth-generation cattle rancher doing something else. Like, I get that. To them, it's, it's not as easy as, I'll just go find another job. You know, oh, my whole livelihood is lost. But I think for those that are sort of, like, the lower-level workers, the, the switch over to a different job could probably be a lot less painful. Yeah. You know, because it's not like it, not their their whole life isn't invested in this one thing. It's just this is just a job for them. We know that those who are slaughterhouse workers have over 100 percent turnover rate every year anyway. So certain jobs are not like lifetime legacy jobs for a lot of people.
1: And specifically with because automation obviously deals in, in tons of different types of, of jobs, tons, tons of different types of employment, specifically with agriculture. Um, I found another article from QZ, The Optimist's Guide to the Robot Apocalypse, that says, As the Industrial Revolution ended, about half of American workers were still employed in agricultural jobs, and almost all of those jobs were about to be lost to machines. Employment in agriculture has fallen to less than 2% of workers. So it's not as if people losing agricultural jobs... Is a new thing. It's it's that I feel like that's not a new thing, and it's not this thing where it's like, oh, this is what veganism is going to cause. Therefore, veganism is evil. This is a thing that's already happening with no relation to veganism at all. It's happening, uh, like unrelated to veganism. So I, I feel like. It's not it's it's an unfair kind of critique of veganism, because this is something that is most likely going to happen whether the world becomes vegan or not.
0: Yeah. And I love the little paragraph that comes after that kind of hammers home what we've been sort of uh, hinting at, which says, Um, If nothing else had changed, the decrease in agriculture jobs could have led to a largely unemployed society, but that's not what happened. Instead, as agricultural employment dwindled, jobs in other sectors grew during the same period. They involved working in factories, yes, but also working with computers, flying airplanes, and driving cargo across the country, occupations that weren't feasible in 1900. So, which is the same thing as, like, right now, it's like, okay... 65% 65% of school children right now are going to take jobs that don't currently exist. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think as as farm production, as like produce production becomes more automated and other people are going to start to take jobs in, in things we haven't even thought of yet, it makes, again, it's like you're saying, Paul, this is happening Regardless of what people are choosing to to consume or like the entertainment they're taking in. And it's like, yeah, the people that work at SeaWorld are going to go find somewhere else to work when SeaWorld inevitably shuts down.
1: So, Andy, I think one of the big... um, One of the big... I don't know, maybe it's a philosophy or one of the big, I guess, philosophical conundrums surrounding this debate is... Could you, you reminded me of it when you talked about SeaWorld is like do we have the right to a job that is exploiting someone else or exploiting a, another animal
0: I would say no but, but I think how we as vegans choose to talk about this issue is very important I, yeah. I, I think that if someone brings up the job issue it's not great of us if we're just like fuck them you know, they're hurt, they're hurting animals. <laughs> Fuck them. Like, I, yeah. I do think that we can both be excited about a job that is built on the exploitation of animals ending. We can be excited that that job will cease to exist and thus less animals will be exploited. But we can also have empathy for someone that will no longer have a source of income and be able to provide for themselves or their loved ones. And I think that, you know, we can we can work on both issues at once. And like I like I agree. I agree. No one deserves to make money if what they're doing is unethical. But Mm -hmm. but again, that doesn't mean we have to like revel in the pain and misery of those that might lose their job or have to switch over into a different sector of employment, you know.
1: And on that same note, I think showing empathy When you're having this discussion, maybe with someone that is a farmer or with someone that like is whose father is a farmer or or who knows someone that's a farmer or something like that. You know, I I think showing empathy can go a long way when discussing these issues, because I think you're bound to run into that brick wall if you're going to just be a jerk and be like, no, they don't they're going to lose their job and I don't care about it then that person is going to shut themselves off about having this discussion about veganism with you. So, you know, just have empathy for these people. Um just be careful when you're discussing it because it 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 might be a sensitive issue and you might not even know it. Like you might not know that they are a farmer when you're advocating to them if you're just talking to someone on the street. Yeah. So,
0: just just be sensitive. Yeah, I, I, be a sensitive person. <laughs> Don't be a jerk. I think that that definitely that it's that certainly ties into our conversation about mis- misanthropy last last uh, episode and you know i i think that when people are like well who cares about the jobs i don't think it's necessarily tied into like hatred of humanity but it certainly goes to show that like a lot of people think well vegans only care about animals they don't care about the humans out there and i think that we can get a lot further in our advocacy efforts when we do express that sympathy
1: yeah yeah and so andy yes paul so one thing uh, uh related to this issue that we thought to kind of do a little bit of research on, look into a little bit was the idea of universal basic income. And we found a specific article called universal basic income, the answer to automation question mark. And so this could possibly be something to look into, you know, maybe this is the thing that in 20, 30 years when veganism reigns supreme, uh, this is the thing that makes it feasible for people to, you know, to, to, survive um so this article is from futurism.com and it's it's we'll include the link in the show notes obviously for every one of these articles but this is a nice it's succinct there's a lot of pictures it's kind of just like an infographic um and and it provides a lot of information so it starts off by saying the percentages of jobs at risk of automation is astonishing around 40 to 50 percent in a lot of major u.s cities but around the world jobs are in general at risk of automation. So one possible solution to this, to the loss of jobs that will result from automation is universal basic income. And essentially universal basic income is a fixed amount at a level sufficient for subsistence given by the state to all its citizens, regardless of income or work status. Um, And there are actually a few places that are already doing this or implementing some sort, some degree of it. Some places are testing it. Some places are actually doing it, such as the Netherlands, Kenya, India, Switzerland, Finland, and France. Um, and the amount that people are given, it, it varies. It's different. Uh, some, the average proposal is around $10,000 annually per person. But the exact amount would obviously vary from country to country. Switzerland is considering $2,600 a month. Uh, Kenya is testing $1,000 a year. And, um, yeah, so that's what universal basic income is. Uh, I would say, check out this infographic. A lot of the, I think it, it's a, could possibly be a good idea. It could eliminate households living below the poverty line. Uh, A lot of people also think that it will, uh, bolster creativity, entrepreneurship and research because people will not, will no longer just be kind of fighting tooth and nail working to barely get scraps of food on their plate. Um, they'll have a little bit more time to to do this other stuff. The, the, the cons that they list are people believe, some people believe that it's going to disincentivize productivity and work, though some early experiments have shown that uh, those concerns are largely unsubstantiated. And some other people feel that the governance, some other people feel that the governments wouldn't be able to secure the funds that they need. Um, and then finally, some people argue that a global benefit could result in inflation. So there are pros and cons. Um, this is a, I would say, a relatively, well, I don't even want to say it's a new idea, but it's it's seems to be just implement being implemented now. But this could possibly be the answer to people losing jobs, um, people losing agricultural jobs as a result of a vegan world.
0: Yeah. Discuss. Yeah. I mean, this is certainly. This was something that came to mind because I was just sort of thinking about well, it looks like we're just sort of losing jobs anyway. And anyone that like goes to a supermarket in the U.S. sees that now, or Walmart or Target, any any big corporation, there's now the self checkout line, which is mm-hmm. a blessing for those of us with social anxiety. But also, you're like, wow, how many less impl- now? They just have like one person watching. 10 different registers as people are checking yeah. out there. And and the capitalism is horrible and evil, right? And that's what it's going to demand. Like, the less you can deal with having employees, the better. And... In, in I'm saying that in the eyes of these big corporations, and it like it makes sense. I mean, even as like a small business owner, it's like people are not reliable. People don't show up, and and people get sick, and uh, things happen, and they have to leave and move, and all that stuff. Like, why wouldn't you want a reliable machine that could do that work for you? And I think that this is just the trend. We're just gonna see more and more ways of workers no longer having jobs because they can be done more efficiently by machines instead and so regardless of veganism this is happening and so i think that things like universal basic income are things that we should be exploring because we're gonna get to a point when there's a lot of people and there's not as many jobs anymore yeah. You know, and and obviously some of the disincentive stuff where people are like, oh, it's people aren't going to want to work anymore. It's like this isn't like everyone's living in a mansion. This is like you have enough to get by. And if you want a greater quality of life, you still have to go out and, you know, obtain that for yourself. So, yeah, I think I think that's a silly counter argument to these things. Yeah. And I think that, like, if we care about our fellow humans, that this is something that we should be seriously considering.
1: Yeah it's like you have enough money to live somewhere and eat food and have clothes. And that's, that's about it.
0: Yeah. And I'm, you know, there will still be all the social signifiers and, and things that people are still going to want to show off and flaunt their wealth and all that stuff. And, and those might not be available on what is provided by the universal basic income. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know I, to me as someone that hasn't looked into it a ton, it seems like it would potentially be a pretty good solution
1: yeah. Yeah. I think uh, like um, a lot of it probably has to do with where they get the money from. Um, and the, the article does list a few different sources like taxes, interest rates, investments, decreasing in spending, uh, stuff like that. So I, I think it would it, it it is something that is far beyond my knowledge of of being able to figure out how to to pull in all that money, because, for instance, a uh $10,000 a year UBI in the United States would cost $3.2 trillion annually, which is no small amount of money.
0: That's a, a, a several trillions, Paul. Several, yes. That's a lot of trillions.
1: So, so you know, it, it is something that is not just ridiculously easy to implement, but it's something that I hope that people far smarter than me can figure out.
0: Yeah, and I guess it's good to point out people aren't working on UBI because they're worried about the vegan world. It's because they see the trends and they see what's happening to jobs out there. Mm -hmm. Or at least that's part of the reason I'm sure there's some altruistic (laughs) reasoning behind it as well. So I guess like we should bring it back to the question at hand. The one we're trying to answer is like, well, what about the jobs? And so, so now having had this discussion, Paul, Mm -hmm. if you are doing advocacy with someone and they're like but if everyone goes vegan what will happen to all the farmers how would you respond
1: i would say well like i don't i don't blame you for being concerned about job loss i think even if veganism was non-existent we would still have to be concerned about losing our jobs and like i would probably bring up some stuff about the automations and and how that's kind of making it a risk of of losing certain types of jobs, but how on a more optimistic note, how we've been through this in the past. Like there are various examples throughout history of people being worried that some change was going to bring about great job loss. But in fact, it, you know, it it opens people up to be able to, to do new things. Like we, if it were not for automation, you know, we, we, we wouldn't have all these great advances that we do now. We wouldn't be living the ways that we do now. We would not be recording podcasts <laughs> through microphones and talking to each other over, you know, a few hundred miles apart. So it, it it's it's good because maybe it will open up. You know, it, it might open up people to afford them the time and the to to have the creativity to create the next new thing, the next new advancement. And maybe throw at them that that Forbes stat that that, you know, 65 percent of people, 65 percent of children in school right now are going to have a job that doesn't even exist. So, you know, it's veganism is not happening overnight. It's something that's going to take a while. And and I have faith in our in our creativeness in our in our faith in humanity that we'll be able to figure out how to adapt to that just like we've literally been figuring out how to adapt to everything else that history has thrown at us probably like not always in the right direction but
0: Paul, yes, Andy? i like that you're so creative that you just made up the word creativeness
1: is that not a word
0: <laughs> creativity
1: oh yeah that's the word <laughs> <laughs> see if i was if i was on ubi right now i would be coming up with words left and right job opportunities creativeness
0: (laughs) according to the freedictionary.com creativeness is a noun, the power or ability to invent (laughs) so maybe you're right right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I, i guess i would i would i would try to make it like an i would i would try to make my response optimistic and and like we will figure out just like in the past, we will figure out how to adapt to these things. It's not something that's going to happen overnight.
0: Yeah, we will, we will, we will rock you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think, I think the key is having empathy for, for those that will be affected and not just saying like, well, screw them. It doesn't matter what they're doing, having that empathy, but then discussing the potential solutions. Yes. Of course, some people will switch over to, You know, plant based alternatives to what they're doing. I'm thinking about, you know, uh, the goat sanctuary that switched over to making vegan goat cheese, or Elmhurst Dairy, who switched over to doing Elmhurst nut milks and things like that. That will happen. I'm sure we're going to see that happening in droves. We're seeing the larger companies. We just covered last week Nestle is starting to invest in the plant based sector. And I think that we're going to see the percentages of income that's coming to these larger companies from plant-based alternatives is going to grow, 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 and eventually be the majority of their income. So, like, those jobs will switch over. And, yes, some people will lose their job and have to find a new way of life. But like you said, Paul, we've been through this before. We'll be through it again. It's going to happen many more times in the the history of humanity unless we're swallowed by the sun or global warming. So I think that it's it's like... Yeah, that optimism is key. Optimism and empathy.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think we're going to wrap this discussion up, but I, I'm going to wrap it up, Andy, with a a very loose knot because I think that there's a lot that we didn't unpack. There's a lot of other implications of our suggestions that we didn't get to. There's a lot of you know, there's a lot to do with we referenced like the economy and what would happen just to the economy in general uh, if the world went vegan that we 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 didn't delve into. So I'm going to wrap this up, but you know if we need to get back in there later, if we can get back in there at a, at a future date, but please definitely let us know if, if you do think that there's out of the countless things that I'm sure we, we failed to mention. If you um, have any insightful input about any of those things, or if you just want to comment, if you agree or disagree or let us know what you think, uh, please always hit us up at the bearded vegans at com. You can get us up, get us up. You can hit us up on Hello. Instagram. <laughs> You can hit us up on Instagram, The Bearded Vegans. You can hit us up on Facebook, The Bearded Vegans. So we always like to, uh, you know, we always like to have you participate in the discussions. So please let us know what you think. Andy, what's going on with you?
0: I'm going to be in Texas this weekend, Paul. Texas? Uh, You know, Texas gets a lot of shit, but I really love Texas. Uh, I'm going to be at the Texas Veggie Fair in Dallas, Texas, which is on October 21st. Same weekend, our good friends Josh and Steph will be holding down the Compassion Company table at the Boston Veg Food Fest in Boston, Mass. That's October 21st and 22nd. Neither Paul or I will be there, but figured we'd let you all know in case you're trying to go pick up a shirt. October 28th, I'm going to be down at the Central Florida Veg Fest in Orlando, Florida. And then peeking into November, November 4th, I'll be at the Tampa Bay Veg Fest in Tampa, Florida. So it's it's time for my yearly stay in Florida, which I, I cannot wait for. So... Uh, Hope to see some Beardos at any of those events. Stop by, say what's up, Beardo, and get a button and sticker for free. Uh, You can find all the dates, deeds, and links for those events at CompassionCo.com. It's just CompassionCo.com. And, yeah, hope to see some Beardos there. All right. Paul, all this talk about automation, it's, like, kind of scary, but also it's kind of like, ah, the less humans I can interact with, the better. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I I come at that not from a misanthropy standpoint and more from a social anxiety and awkwardness standpoint. (laughs) Yes. But there is one phrase that I hope I will never hear automated from a robot, and that is the following seven words. We are the bearded heathens signing off.
1: Want to do this one? Oh, sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and reading from that article. There's a phone ringing in the background. I don't know if hmm. you can hear it.
1: It's putting an enormous strain on our natural resources and is driving... God. Uh, so you just finished saying that. Yeah, right on, Andy. No, the f- fuck? <laughs> Who says that? <laughs> 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 yeah, Andy Hang Ten. Alright, anyway, so the next thing Radical <laughs> <laughs> In getting like the companies themselves to quote go vegan, even though as as you read, uh gonna let that helicopter go by.
0: Are they looking for you,
1: Paul? Maybe. You
0: recording a podcast out there? <laughs> you got those buttons? <laughs>
1: um I'm just gonna start over.
0: Obviously, plenty of environmental organizations now that are realizing, realizing, realizing.
1: (laughs) And and uh, one thing that that we also kind of did did a little did a little better did a little better
0: little peanut butter. (laughs) You know what else the WWF said that I was also really surprised about? What's that? So when they said, "I want to see you in the cage, brother." (laughs) (laughs) Nice, Andy. Um, Had to slip so, that in somehow. Yeah. They took our jobs!
1: They took our jobs! They